This is the RTI Press Pass with Rick Butler, Ryan Shumpert, and Jack Foster. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast. My name is Rick Butler. Today is Thursday, February 29th. It is just a couple ticks past 10 a.m. on the clock. As always, joined by my other podcasters here, Jack Foster and Ryan Shumpert. Gentlemen, how are you guys doing today? Ryan, how are you? Doing well. A little tired after a uh, long night covering that Tennessee Auburn basketball game, but certainly an exciting game and uh, a lot to get to today on the pod. Yeah, doing great, Rick. It's a great Thursday here in Knoxville. Uh, fun game last night and excited to talk about that and any football news coming, you know, that we're going to get to today and baseball series this weekend in LNS. Can't be more pumped up about that. Yeah, a lot going on so far. I mean, just thinking back at the week that was, you had, what, five Tennessee baseball games, two during the midweek, three during the weekend. Tennessee goes 5-0, and an undefeated ranking, or excuse me, an undefeated record through that opening stretch at home. Tennessee sort of caps off the week with a gigantic win over Auburn right there in Thompson Bowling Arena. All right, I, don't, I mean, both of you guys were there as well. What do you guys think? Loudest game of the season so far? To me, it certainly felt that way especially once things started to get cranked up in the second half, uh, courtesy of uh, one Dalton Connect. Yeah, yeah no, I'd say I think so. Definitely, right. Yeah, I'd say yeah. definitely the loudest this season. I haven't been to all home games, but of the ones I've been to, and I feel like I've been to most of the big ones, It's it takes the cake. Yeah, uh, no doubt about it. I mean, there were uh, – there were a couple times where, you know, obviously the fans are, are going to get upset at things throughout the season, and obviously there's going to be certain moments or plays that they don't like. But there was a lot of moments yesterday where it felt like they had a very collective effort. I think I even turned to Ryan at one point and I said, look, I, I know every fan base is uh, going to get upset and, and you know, they, they boo certain calls or they do the, you know, uh, ref you suck chant or, or, you know, whatever else it is. But I was like, there's not a lot of people that get collectively mad at the same time, like especially folks in Thompson Bowling Arena do. It's pretty funny. You just get this wave of anger uh, whenever there's a bad call or missed call or just a call that the Tennessee fans don't agree with. It's it's really something else. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I, I saw someone tweet about it. I can't remember who, but it was... I don't know if I've ever been in an arena with just like the anticipation when Dalton Connect got the ball in the second half. Like it, the noise would build when Tennessee was on offense as he got the ball. And obviously, Hopper was doing everything they could to keep him from touching it. And then just the sustained roar, it, it felt like as he, you know, over an eight minute stretch, I'm sure we'll talk about it more later, makes nine shots and scores 23 points. It, uh, since I've been going to just about every, uh, Tennessee men's basket home men's basketball game since the second Grant and Admiral year 1819 that was my freshman year and I've been covering it since the next year to me last night uh in the Kentucky game in 19 uh that Grant and Admiral year when they won by like 20 those are those are the two loudest for a full game uh, I've heard Thompson Bowling Arena Arizona a couple years ago that start when Tennessee got up 17 to 2 would probably compete with anything too in that stretch, but for a a full game or a sustained half, especially uh, last night, it, it's up there with the best college basketball environments I've been to. I'd say reach that mesmerizing state, like like that level of just you can't believe what's happening because of what DK was doing in that stretch. It was just one possession after another after another as Tennessee was coming back. I think that's what 
may I mean, obviously that's what made it so loud and sent it so over the edge as far as the crowd noise, just because of what Dalton Connect was doing. It was flat out unbelievable. He sent the roof off the place. Yeah, he really did. I even think I had a, a tweet at one point that just kind of tried to illustrate that right there. And I said, you know, maybe Dalton Connect pulls up and hits a, tr- uh, a transition three and, you know, the 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 roof is, is in pieces in the river. It, it just felt like there were a couple moments throughout the game, especially in that second half, where it really was. It was just a volcano of noise uh, and it went through the roof and around. Um, but really a remarkable performance. I You know, I know normally we start on football, but we're already talking about basketball, already talking about this. Why don't we just go ahead and stay here for a second? Tennessee defeats Auburn in a, yeah, what, what, what could end up being a really critical SEC game. Tennessee's fourth to go. Um, number four, Tennessee defeats number 11, Auburn, by a score of 92 to 84. We've talked about this, this kind of final stretch for Tennessee for a long time, even going back to sort of the beginning of the conference play when you saw that South Carolina was heating up a little bit that they could potentially present a couple problems. And then certainly once South Carolina beat Tennessee, you know that this was going to make it uh, bigger on the back end. But we knew that Tennessee had this stretch of four ranked teams in the final four games, Auburn, Alabama, South Carolina, and Kentucky. We know that Tennessee right now competing for a, 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 a top spot in the SEC, tied with Alabama right now for first in the standings. But yesterday's win was huge for Tennessee and just starting to build a little bit of that momentum, obviously heading into the postseason, heading into the SEC tournament. Uh, but Tennessee defeats a, a really good Auburn team last night and overcame a little bit of adversity to do so. Yeah, they no, they no doubt did. And I think maybe just on the macro, the thing that stands out, well, obviously Dalton Connect stands out to miss about the game, but uh, just a macro look at the game, one of the things that stood out a lot is just it was just a really high-level game, I felt like. I mean, this is two teams where I think Tennessee is currently third in Ken Palm adjusted defensive efficiency and Auburn six. And this is after a game where, uh, you know, Tennessee gave up 84 and Auburn gave up 92 last night. I mean, this is two of the best defenses in the country. And I don't really feel like either team played a bad defense. Uh, I mean, that's one of the things that stands out the most about Connect's performance. None of it was easy. Uh, I mean, or not many of the baskets were easy. Auburn, I thought, maybe had the best game plan or, or just concerted effort from the jump to stop him as any team that Tennessee's played all year and kind of the same thing goes for the Auburn side too I mean Auburn the turnovers were I'd say the one thing both teams struggled with uh, on offense but Auburn which is not a you know they're not a bad three-point shooting team they're not like A&M or Arkansas but that's certainly not their strength it certainly hasn't been their strength when they've gone on the road they hit 41 percent of their threes last night Auburn star uh Janai Broom was fantastic I mean Absolutely lived up to the hype. 23 points. Tennessee had to start sending double teams at him, and he just always made the right play, ended with five assists. And then um, Jalen Williams, who got injured in the Kentucky game for Auburn about a week and a half ago, didn't play against Georgia. It was a game-time decision. Not only did he play, but he played 21 minutes, and I thought was really good, scored 12 points. So uh, it felt like Tennessee took Auburn's best punch in that game, and that's why they needed Dalton Connect to be so good to overcome uh, you know, a second-half deficit and win. And uh, that's just, again, it just felt like a really, for two teams that were have really good defenses and for both offenses to play like they did, it just felt like the shot making and, and the quality of that game was really, really high. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Auburn had five players score in double digits, Tennessee at three. It's just DK was so impactful that sent him over the edge. I'll ask you guys of, you know, rewind before yesterday's game when Tennessee had four games remaining, all four teams in the top 18. Do you think... Auburn was the toughest opponent remaining. Maybe not the toughest no. game since it's at home, but the toughest opponent. 
I don't know. That's a good. I feel like Auburn and Alabama as a whole from opponent are pretty similar. Um, what I will say is I think Alabama is a lot better matchup for Tennessee than Auburn is. I don't think Auburn's a great matchup uh, for Tennessee, and that probably balances out due to the fact, or maybe even overbalances out, out due to the fact that Tennessee was at home. And you know why the one good thing about the matchup for Tennessee is just that Auburn's guard play is not great. And you felt like Auburn's guards going on the road would struggle in this game. And, you know, they did do a degree. Auburn turned the ball over 16 times. Um, and it wasn't like any of those guards were just fantastic, but it did feel like Auburn's guards held, held their own. Uh, it didn't really cost them the game. And Janai Broom and Jalen Williams, particularly Broom is just the type of guy that's given Tennessee trouble. So, um, I don't know. That's kind of a roundabout answer to it. I feel like Auburn and Alabama are about the same. Alabama's probably a, a little bit better of a matchup for Tennessee, though. Yeah, I'll, I'll echo that for the most part. Uh, and obviously, you know, in hindsight from the Al- from the Auburn game, uh, it, it might it might make it sound like I'm just kind of going off of points that I saw in yesterday's game. But I, I do think that what Ryan is saying is right. I think if you're looking at both teams. Uh, you see that the most dangerous player against Tennessee it might be Janai uh, Broom. Obviously, Mark Sears for, for Alabama is really, really good. Uh, but Janai Broom it, it plays a position and plays a style that has given Tennessee trouble throughout the season so far. Uh, you look at some of the bigger guys that Tennessee has faced off against. Uh, Hunter Dickinson, uh, Zach Eady, uh, uh, um, Armando Baycott over at North Carolina. So certainly that presents a, a tough matchup. So I think I would have said... Auburn might be the tougher team in this situation, especially, again, knowing how good they play defense and knowing kind of what, what last year's game looked like, just the, uh, the the heavy defensive fest. But I do feel like, man, that Alabama game is going to be tough. Coming up Saturday night, we saw what a Saturday night Tennessee-Alabama basketball looks uh, game looks like last year. It was, it, it, it was a rowdy environment. College game day, uh, I think College Game Day was here for the Texas game, maybe not the Alabama game, but still. I mean, there was a yeah. lot of fanfare around. There was a lot of things going around uh, around campus, and you could tell that those fans wanted to win. So we know what a Tennessee-Alabama rivalry looks like from the Knoxville perspective on a Saturday night. Now we're going to see it in Tuscaloosa on a Saturday night. I think it's going to be tough. And again, man, there's a whole lot to play for right here. Obviously, it's not the final game of the season, but there's going to be a ton to play for. The Alabama fans are going to know that. So I think it's going to be as, you know, uh, as much of, if not the most challenging game that Tennessee is going to have this year. Yeah, it's, I think on, on the surface, probably the most challenging from the fact that it's just going to be the hardest road game they play. And one thing, going back to Shania Broom, you mentioned all the guys Tennessee's played this year. I, I think I made the point maybe to you, or I don't think I have maybe even ever wrote it down. So maybe I'm, I should have written it down. But I left that game last night. Just He is so much. There's so much Hunter Dickinson in Janai Broom. Like their games, I feel like are just so so sure. similar. Dickinson's obviously two or three inches taller than him, but physical, really skilled, left-handed, just great low post scorers who can also come out to the three-point line and knock down some triples. And Broom knocked down two of them last night. So uh, he is, yeah, he's is you know Rick Barnes said it last night. He's been he was as tough to guard as any big man Tennessee's played this year, and that. Feels like Tennessee's played about all all the best big men in the country at this point. Yeah, early Absolutely. in DK's run there, I remember when Broom was just answering the, the first couple of times. Like DK would go down, make a shot, then Broom would come back. It was like a, you know, it was, it, it was a little battle there for a second until Tennessee pulled away. But yeah, he, I mean, he was Auburn's heartbeat last night, and he's one of the better players in the SEC, if not the country, for sure. Hey, by yeah, the way, speaking a, of, go ahead, no, no, go ahead, a, follow uh, up. 
yeah, I mean, just going to Jack's point, maybe the one that comes up the most to me when I talk about the high-level shot making and just like how fun that game was, was connected a deep three to tie the game. It was probably I don't know, around eight minutes left. Broom hit a three to take the lead back, and Sky hit a three. I think really the only bucket yeah. he got in a long stretch that wasn't from Dalton. And, you know, that stretch was as good as any in the game, it felt like, or as fun as any in the game. Yeah, absolutely. And that three uh, went into the, what was it, 39 points that Dalton Connect finished with. Uh, Dalton Connect, the only player in the country this season with four games of 35-plus points. He scored 37 on the road against North Carolina, 36 on the road against Georgia, 39 at home against Florida, and then 39 again last night against Auburn. It's it's unbelievable. You know, Jack is shaking his head right there. I can see him in the video camera just like, how does that make sense? And I think that's what everyone is asking themselves right now, right? How, how does how does that happen, especially for a Tennessee fan base that has not seen this in a long time, right? Tennessee's seen a couple good offensive players, obviously, and certain guys have certain skills, whether you want to talk about Sky Ziegler, Kennedy Chandler, you can go back to the Grand Admiral days, but not on this kind of level. Even even Bruce Pearl was was asked yesterday, hey, with all the Tennessee knowledge that you have, which, which is a pretty good amount, you know, can you compare somebody to Dalton, to Dalton Connect, what he's doing, what he gives Tennessee, Bruce Pearl was stumped thinking of an answer, and I think that's how most people feel. So what he's doing right now is just at an unbelievable clip. Obviously, leading into this game, um, if I can pull up the stats, he had 24 against Texas A&M. He had a pair of uh, um, games in the teens with 17 and 14 points right there. But just Tennessee's ability to have a guy like this that can do these type of things, who who you know lives in the 20 points per game sort of area, that's the difference maker. And I know we, we, we go back after that Texas and m game and we said, hey, look, if, if this is the recipe for success, then maybe there's not a lot of teams that Tennessee can't beat in the country. Don Connect, Zakai Ziegler, Jonas Adu, sort of equal contribution from those three. And I do think that, yeah, that's when Tennessee's at its best. But sometimes there's just going to be games where, where you've got to have number three put everybody on his back, and, and that's still a recipe for success as well. Now, obviously, that one might be a little bit harder to predict. It's it's hard to you know it's hard to count on a guy for just going for forty points. But the simple fact of the matter is Tennessee has a guy like that, and that could prove dividends. Whether you're talking about the SEC tournament or the NCAA tournament coming up, you're absolutely it, right, Rick, and you hit the nail on the head. It's just, and we've talked about it all season. Tennessee's at its best when they can get everybody involved. And, you know, Rick made it a, Rick Barnes that has made a big point about that after the South Carolina game of, you know, we're, we got too many good offensive players for us just to be all be sitting around and watching Dalton do it. But there's just a safe, a security blanket and, you know, just some relief in knowing that when it's not working for other guys. And that's what we've seen for this Tennessee team in the past. That's, you know, they would be so inconsistent offensively. You have another option and you have a dude that not that he's necessarily going to be able to do that every night, but he can score at an elite rate when Tennessee needs him to carry them. Um, and, and that's what you saw last night. And but I said that was his fifth second half of the year or fifth 20 point second half of the season, which is an incredible. <laughs> stat. So you go look at the five that's games. crazy. You go look at the five games that he's done it in. North Carolina, Tennessee played terrible in the first half, and you know he's trying to will a comeback. They come up just short. Mississippi State, they played terrible in the first half. Besides Zakai Ziegler, including Connect, he played terrible in the first half. Comeback effort comes up just short. Georgia, they're down nine points with eight minutes left. He wills them back to a win, and then Vanderbilt, when you know they were down five at halftime, and they, you know, they took control pretty early. But another game, they were down, and, and things weren't going well for the offense. And that's exactly what the case was last night. I mean. Auburn went on a 
you know, Tennessee was up four at halftime. They came out quick 5-0 run, up by nine. It kind of felt like they were going to take control and, and coast. And then from there, you know, Auburn played great defense, and Tennessee kind of collapsed offensively. I think it was a 23-6 run for Auburn that turned a nine-point deficit for the Tigers into an eight-point lead. Tennessee made one field goal in that stretch. Connect finally hit a three to bust him out of it. And from that point on, I mean, he did just about everything on the offensive end for the Vols. Yeah, I think it makes Tennessee that much dangerous of a team come tournament time. And and you look back, and Tennessee's going to be a what probably a two seed in the tournament, maybe a three. They'll they're going to be a a high seed. But when you think about legendary tournament runs from players, would it surprise you guys if Dalton Connect just you know is that guy in the tournament for Tennessee putting up thirty every game and you know high twenties, thirties every game? It wouldn't surprise you because he has that capability and that makes Tennessee so much more dangerous this year than they have been in the past in my opinion because they have that type of player to take over everything like we saw last night yeah I'll say this and and you know not even from like an overly optimistic standpoint but just one of the things I'm fascinated in getting to know who Dolan Connect is over the last you know handful of months for this basketball season hearing some of these stories you know I think hearing so you know hearing one story that was like Hey, this guy doesn't care about anything except for basketball and his team, right? He, he's not he's not going out and you know, I don't I don't think he's do, going out and doing stuff around town. I, Rick Barnes said yesterday after the game that you know the day before the game that Dog Connect was in the gym until ten thirty p.m. Right? Rick Barnes was leaving when Dog Connect was still there. This guy cares about basketball, and I think that is obviously his main focus. We've never seen him in an NCAA tournament format, right? We don't know what 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 could be unlocked just because of the competitor that he he is. And obviously it could go it could go different ways, but I think just from what we've gathered about who Dog Connect is, the kind of guy he has, that switch that he can flip. Rick Barnes has talked about it, Scott Ziegler's talked about it, uh, Dalton's talked about it himself, that switch that can go off. I wonder if he kind of sees that bright sees the bright lights of the NCAA tournament reminds him of the bright lights of of Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Maybe reminds him of the bright lights that is Knoxville, Tennessee in front of 22,000 people, whatever it is. I'm interested to see what he could do in his first NCAA tournament, just again, knowing that I think he's the kind of player that that likes to step his game up when the pressure's on. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, I think I said this earlier in the year, like he just, just really just echoing a lot of your points, Rick. He feels like the perfect superstar in the sense that, he, you know, Rick Barnes talked about it last night. He's very humble. Uh, and, you know, he's very much embracing being the star. He's signing autographs for hours after games. Um, like you said, on the court, it seems like he always enjoys the bright lights. He's had some of his biggest games on the road in tough environments over last night and obviously a huge game. Um, but it just, it just doesn't feel arrogant. It doesn't feel over the top. And then, you know, to your point about, the NCAA tournament, yeah, I mean, it's that's what's got to give you a lot of optimism about it is that he's been his best in the big stages, that he's not a one-dimensional scorer, that he can score getting to the basket from the three-point line, from the mid-range. He can do it in, in so many different ways, and, uh, you know, that inspires a lot of confidence. And, you know, Bruce Pearl talked about it last night. If Tennessee makes a deep run, they'll be talking about Dalton Connect for a long time in Knoxville, and we got, I was having the conversation with some other media members after the game. It's Tennessee makes a deep run. I mean, I don't kind of crazy to say for guys here one year, but I think Dalton connect if his playing at a level might get his Jersey retired. Wow. Yeah. I haven't thought about it that way, but that's, that's a good point. I don't see why not. 
It, it's been a special season. Hey, real quick, that question reminded me, and I immediately had a player jump into my own head. I want to see if either of you might might be tracking along the same lines. When you think of big March Madness run from an individual, who is that first player that comes to your mind? I, I don't know, for, first player. I mean, the Jack very first one. one is very f- – I mean, I think Steph at Davidson, just because it's been yeah. beaten into the ground so many years, that that naturally comes up first. I mean, Marcus as Page, far as Marcus Page is one for me at North yeah. Carolina. Yeah, who's the I mean, BYU he guy? Years, Jimmer for that. Jimmer. Yeah. Jimmer. Yeah, for me, I and actually, I don't even know what they ended up doing in the NCAA tournament. I think it was maybe more of the the conference tournament. But for me, it's Kimba Walker. Just Kimba Walker's well, like insane. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Yeah, so clearly it was through that. Kimba Walker's insane run throughout whatever yeah, postseason that was will will forever be for me like the you think of a good NCAA tournament performance, you compare it to Kimba Walker because he was nasty then. So I don't know. That's at least just the first one that comes up to my mind. Yeah, Doug that's Eater, a really good recent running. history. Yeah, yeah. St. Peter's. And uh um you know, the performance wasn't as good, but another guy that I just think of, I was going to go two more guys. One guy I think of just the clutch shots is Aaron Harrison in Kentucky. I mean, uh, he certainly yeah. wasn't that dominant as a whole, but he hit three straight game-winning shots in the NCAA tournament from the exact same spot. And uh, another guy that Trey Burke for Michigan was incredible in Michigan's run to the title game in 13 when they lost to Louisville. He was phenomenal. And uh, I, that can- I think they beat Kansas with a one seed and maybe a Sweet 16 or an Elite Eight, and he was just unbelievable in that game. So that's that's another one that comes to mind. And it, it goes into the point of being optimistic about it for Tennessee is every guy we just named was a guard. And Tennessee's best team with right. Rick Grant Williams has been the go-to guy. And Tennessee's just – they've just never had a guard this dominant offensively. Um, and those guards are typically the guys that can take over games in the NCAA tournament. Hey, that's what I was thinking about actually uh, last night before I went to bed. It was probably about 2-ish, 1.32 in the morning, something like that, just about to go to bed. Adrenaline finally started winding down. I was sitting there and I was like, not to take away anything from a Zach Eady performance, a a Hunter Dickinson performance, whatever it is, but being a, a, a big man in college and being dominant is a little bit different than being a dominant shooter in college, right? Obviously, being a shooter, you know, there, there's just so many different uh, facets that come to it. And, you know, to me, it is more impressive to be a dominant shooter than a dominant big man, especially at the college level again. And that's not to take anything away or, or not to discredit at all. I'm just, you know, taking my side yeah, there. But it, it really right. is. You you go back and watch some of those highlights and uh, just, you know, again, we're talking about Dalton here, but just from a guard perspective – I mean, just sitting back there with the ball, figuring out what he was going to do, playing this cat and mouse game, playing this game of chess where, you know, he goes down and dunks on one possession, gets back in the same position. You don't know if he's going to try to go drive to the hoop again or, you know, pull up and make a three. It, it, it really is just incredible to be a shooter uh, when you're at that high of a level in college basketball because it's not done very often. Yeah, and I, I wrote about it last night. I kind of made – the case for Dalton to win national player of the year over Zach Eady, who has been the foregone conclusion to win it really all season. And, and I said that same thing, that there's just something that's more impressive about watching a 6'6 guard who was couldn't even make the Big Sky first team last year uh, on a terrible Northern Colorado <laughs> team than a, a, just a 7'3 mountain of a man. And 
that might not, you know, that point, while it is more impressive, maybe that shouldn't matter in who wins national player of the year. But what I will say is you go ask it'll be 68 teams to make the NCAA tournament. Whenever an NCAA tournament bracket is released or, or whatever, you go ask those 68 coaches to take one player in the country to start their, start their, to take on their team to start for the NCAA tournament. I'd be hard-pressed to think 50-55 don't take Dalton Connect over Zach Eady. Uh, he's, he's the guy that you would want, in, in my opinion. And to me, if the how it, how you do it, it doesn't mean something. To me, that means something. Who, who would be the player you'd want the most uh, going into the tournament? Well, this is a little bit of a different angle, not quite what you were saying, but I kind of look at it this way, too. Zach Eady won it last year, and he came back. Like, you win National Player of the Year, and you can't – go to the NBA. It's not worth it for you to go to the NBA. He, he's just dominating. I mean, look, yeah, he's a great basketball player. He's really good, but he's mostly dominating because of his size. You watch the Purdue games and that's his best trait. It's obvious. So to me, that's another reason that what connects doing is a lot more impressive in my book. Yeah. Yeah. I think you guys have hit the head. And again, not to take anything away from the dominant big men, but you, when you're talking about big men at the NBA, that's a little bit of a different story. That's also guys who have been playing that position, playing in that high level of of you know, uh, playing that high level of competition for a long time at this point. Some of these big men that that you know, a Zach Eady or a Hunter Dickinson is facing off against, even a Jonas Adu at times, you know, it's a guy who is maybe just playing high school or his last meaningful ball was in high school. Whereas we know it's just whoever's living in the area makes the team. Typically, right? Obviously, there's yeah. there's some other factors that go in, but uh, again, I, I think that there's just a not talent or skill, but there's just a different level of edge to me that that you know when you're talking about a big man versus a shooter uh, and, and what they can do on the court from the college level. But it's been really impressive. Tennessee doesn't have just one guard that's been impressive though; uh, they've got two. Zakai Ziegler, you know, a little bit of an up and down night uh, last night against Auburn. Certainly finished better than he started, and, and a really quiet 17 points. Ryan, we were joking about that after the game. You know, you, you don't see many, uh, many more quiet 17 point games than that. But I think the big takeaway of that was one year on the date of his injury, the ACL tear last year against Arkansas. A hundred percent, and you know, it was cool to see him. You know, it's just been cool to see him be back, and not the fact that he. You wondered at the time that if, you know, if he could get back to what he was before, just because he's a player that relies on his speed and quickness. And we, you know, I think we all felt like he would uh, just because the way players can in mod- modern medicine can recover from ACL tears and just like the determination. And it's a guy that just never do you bet against. Um, but it, it still was a question. And, and it's been cool to see him get back to what he was and really play even better than he, he was last year, in my opinion. And yeah, again, last night it was, uh, you know, it probably speaks to how good he's been this season that he can score 17 points and have nine assists. And, you know, it felt like he was pretty average in, in the game. And, yeah. and he, honestly, he was pretty bad for, he was pretty bad for 18 minutes. And then he had a great finish to the first half and made some big shots and you know, obviously deferred to Dalton in the second half and, and played much better in the, the final 20, 22 minutes of the game, really. Yeah, he's just been yeah. a true leader of this team, I think. And even his triple-double, I mean, I know the 14 assists jumped out you know, on the stat sheet, but I remember turning to someone when watching the Texas A&M game and being like, you know, Zakai's a couple points, a couple boards away from a triple-double, and it's like, how? You know, it's just he's quietly 
having these really good games, and that's a true sign of, you know, the kind of impact he's having and the kind of impact Tennessee needs him to have. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, and they're going to need him to have a little bit of impact. Looking at the final three games of the season, uh, excuse me, of the regular season schedule, I should say, February's over as of today that we're recording this. So three games in March leading into the SEC tournament. Tennessee goes to Tuscaloosa to take on Alabama Saturday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. Then Tennessee goes back on the road to Columbia, South Carolina. That's next Wednesday at 7 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. And then back in Knoxville for the regular season finale, 4 o'clock p.m. on CBS, Saturday, March 9th. Tennessee hosts Kentucky in a huge rivalry game after Tennessee, frankly, embarrassed Kentucky in front of their home fans, in their own arena, in a big SEC race. Now, Kentucky has certainly found a couple big wins since then, uh, but Tennessee dropped, what was it, 103 points on Kentucky. I don't think they're going to be forgetting that. In fact, Tennessee has beaten two out of three teams that they're going to play. Both of those going to be wanting revenge. Tennessee could uh, certainly wants a little bit of revenge in the South Carolina game. I know this is maybe a little bit of a moot point, but does any of those three games stand out more than the other? We know the 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 standings implications that come with the Alabama game, but is there any that, that just particularly for you that really kind of stands out above the other two? Yeah, I think it's the Alabama game, largely because of what you said, the standings implications and the fact that it's going to be the biggest Tennessee-Alabama basketball game of all time, I think, at least of, of my lifetime that I can remember. So, it's going to be just a massive game, SEC championship ramifications, ESPN primetime, college game day there. Uh, should be a super fun game. And, you know, Tennessee probably can still get a share of the title if they lose that game by, you know, if they can win their final two because uh, or it's, it's on, in play. At least Alabama goes to Florida the game after uh, Tennessee, so that's going to be a really tough game. I'd probably pick Florida to win, but it for, really feels like for the most part, it's not quite as simple as this, but it really feels like an SEC championship game. So, uh, yeah, I, I'd say that one stands out the most, but all three are going to be big, and certainly the two Saturday games, um, a lot to be excited for, especially when you talk about the, the style of play that both Alabama and Kentucky have. Those are going to be high-scoring games where uh, it should be really, really fun to watch. Yeah, I know Tennessee has some good road wins, but the fact that the Bama game is on the road makes it a little more, you know, interesting as well. And everything you guys said, I mean, the implications of the Alabama game far exceed the other two. So it's the biggest one left. Kentucky's always big, but, you know, considering what Tennessee did to Kentucky last time, I think it decreases that significance just a tad. So the Alabama game is what all eyes are on and what all eyes should be on. Yeah, and I think if, if you want to add a little bit of a tidbit, maybe the South Carolina game uh, attempt to – um, just again, uh, avenge uh, a loss Merlin the season kind of right there at the end. I, I think that's probably good for your mental. Uh, real quick, just one other thing I wanted to talk about. Uh, Tennessee smacked around Alabama. They beat them by 20 points back in late uh, January, the 20th of January to be exact, 91 to 71. Uh, looking back at the box score of that game right there, um, uh, it wasn't loading. Here we go. 
Dalton Connect scores 25 points. Uh, Jordan Ganey, a big game with 15 points. Jonas Adu had 19 points. Santiago Vescovi added in 10. Nobody else scored in single digits. Uh, uh, excuse me, Alabama only scored 71 points in that game, 34 points in the second half. They're averaging 91 points a game. So Tennessee's defense was able to hold them in check while Dalton Connect and Jonas Adu did their thing. Ryan, what's kind of a key to the game coming up this Saturday that you see? It can either be based on Tennessee's win back in January or maybe something that's kind of come up or, or you know manifested itself since they since these two teams squared off a, a good luck a good little while ago I just think Tennessee needs to own the interior uh, and they did that in the first game you mentioned Jonas they do I think Tennessee needs to dominate the glass they need to be able to get interior scoring you particularly hope to get that from Adu and Tobey Iwaka who continues to play better I thought Iwaka was good again last night for Tennessee um, and you also hope to get that from regards getting to the basket as well so uh, Alabama's weak on the inside. I think Tennessee needs to take advantage of that. Alabama's been really good at home. Hasn't lost to lost to Clemson back in the ACC Challenge at home. Haven't lost a, a home game since then. Um, and just talking about how good this Alabama offense is, I think I saw it from Nick Kelly at Tuscaloosa News, covers Alabama. Alabama's their first in Ken Palm adjusted offensive efficiency right now. I believe he said in the history of Ken Palm, which is like 23, 24 years now, basically this whole decade, Alabama has it currently has the second best offense behind that 2015 uh, Wisconsin team with Frank Kaminsky and Sam Decker that, that upset Kentucky in the Final Four and lost to Duke in the championship game. So this is just an incredible Alabama offense at home. They're going to score a lot of points, even with Tennessee having a great defense. Um, and obviously making things hard on them is going to be an important story for this game. But I think more than anything, Tennessee's going to have to win this game by scoring a lot of points and kind of winning in a track meet. And I think – being able to control the interior is the biggest key to them doing that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you look at Mark Sears. He scored 22 points against Tennessee last game. But then again, he was the only Alabama player that that did hit double digits. Otherwise, their forwards, uh, their two starting forwards combined for just 12 points on four of seven shooting. The bench didn't add much either. So I think that Tennessee in that game, and I can actually look back at, at the, um, let's see. If I'm just making sure. Yeah, Tennessee took a lead to start out the game. Looks like they were around the, you know, I don't know, around the 16 to 9 mark after a couple minutes, you know, seven minutes into the into the first half or so. Tennessee never let up the lead throughout that, though. So I do think that getting off to a hot start, we know for this Tennessee team is really important because that allows them to to um, to insert some of what they want to do to control a little bit more of the pace of the game and go on from there. So a lot of big things coming up, obviously, this Alabama game as well. That's sort of a look into the regular season. Any other kind of final thoughts maybe on the NCAA tournament or anything before we shift focus over to football? Yeah, not to shame Jack too much, uh, but Jack, Jack's going to go. The Tennessee will either be a, a two or a three seed. I think it will either be a two or a one seed. Um, they remain on that. That top two seed spot uh, as of right now, I actually just saw Blake Von Hagen tweeted it out the the odds to be the fourth one seed according to Bet Online AG. Arizona is still the betting favorite at minus one ten, but Tennessee moving to plus one twenty five, pretty close behind them. And then it's been considered a three team race. North Carolina down at plus seven fifty. So Tennessee's gonna have a chance. I think if they win two of their last three and make a deep run into the SEC tournament, it probably gets really really close um and then if they you know if they only drop i think if they only drop one game the rest of the season combined with sec tournament uh, in regular season i would think tennessee would really have a great chance uh to be you know have the first one seed in program history there you go yeah 
I think you spelled it out there well. Uh, I'm looking to make sure. Yeah, so it wasn't updated this morning, uh, but Joe Lenardi did put out a, a quick bracketology update yesterday at about 9.22 p.m. It was right after Tennessee had beaten Al, uh, Auburn officially, uh, and Tennessee was listed as the two seed in the South region, which is the Dallas region. Uh, and they were slotted number five. So the first team on the outside looking into the top four, as we kind of expected as well. So it's going to be a big finish to the basketball season. Uh, it's going to be fun for basketball fans, stressful for Tennessee fans. But this is obviously the kind of territory that Tennessee is right now in, uh, that Tennessee is in right now. All these games matter. You're playing against good teams. I mean, look, Tennessee's going to get a first round bye in the SEC tournament. So they're going to play somebody at least pretty decent in their second round. Every game from this point out, except maybe the 15 seed that Tennessee plays in the first round of the NCAA tournament, is going to be a quality team, and, and this is certainly going to be a, a, a fun stretch of basketball. Tennessee's got a great team to do so, obviously led by Dalton Connect, a, a guy that has just amazed everybody who's watched him play. So big things are ahead for this Tennessee basketball team, and we'll have you covered for the whole thing. Any other kind of final thoughts on hoops? That's all I got. Nope, I'm good. Well, um, I'm going to do this while I pull up. There's not a lot of football to talk about. We hit a bunch of the coaching hire conversation last week in case you missed last week's podcast. Uh, go ahead and go check that out real quick. While I'm pulling up the one quick thing we're going to talk about, how about you guys give me a quick baseball nugget? Our two beat reporters from the baseball team, one quick Got baseball it. nugget. And I don't want it to be that Tony Vitello was giving out free smoothies at practice a little while ago. That's in the past. We already know about that. That's in the mic'd up video. <laughs> I need something new. Give me a nugget. Well, yeah, this is a good time for it because I thought Tuesday's uh, midweek game against High Point was pretty intriguing, and we haven't talked about it uh, on any platform. And I actually was their first midweek game. I've missed it in ages. But so, Ryan, uh, what was how? What changed? Did anything change? regarding your outlook for this Tennessee team from that 7-4 to high point win on Tuesday? No, I don't think anything changed from my outlook. And it rarely does, you know, one game against anybody in baseball change my outlook. But what I will say, what further, which is to further to me, maybe the biggest development of the young season is just Robin Villeneuve. And he once again, I mean, he's he, him and Kvaris Tears carried Tennessee's offense in that game. Uh, Villeneuve was fantastic. Multiple hits. I think three RBIs. He, he's, machine. he's just completely changed the dynamic. Yeah, he's a machine. He's changed the dynamic. I won't quite say he's come out of nowhere because he was really good in the preseason and he was really good in the fall, but you just didn't know if there was a spot for him. And for a guy that came from junior college, it's obviously different when you get into the games. And it'll be different when they face better competition too. But right now he looks like a dude that's going to be really hard for Tennessee to take out of the or for Tony Vitello to take out of Tennessee's lineup. And I think that makes it really interesting of fitting all the puzzle pieces together, both with who plays where uh, and just what that lineup looks like, which Tony Vitello continues to tinker with just about every game. Hitting 563 this season, has gone 9 of 16 at the plate, has a pair of home runs and nine RBIs on the season. 1759 OPS. Can't take that out of the lineup. He's ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, there you go. There you go, Rick. Is that a good enough nugget for you? That Robin That's a good may be one of Tennessee's best players this season. That's a great nugget. I'll also give you a nugget. Billy Amick, pretty good with a baseball bat. That's at least one of my big takeaways. Man, when he's got man, one of those hot take, he's got right? one of those metal sticks in his hand, this not a golf club, but one of those one of those metal sticks, and he swings it, man. Pop. 
I mean, it makes it, it, it pretty good, pretty good doing that, doing that swing. So that's my big takeaway from the first seven, eight games of the Tennessee baseball season. I haven't really thought about that. That's a good point. I'm going to have to keep that in mind yeah. next time we do yeah. our podcast, Ryan. That, that yeah. changes everything. That's a unique look at it, Rick. Go share that with uh, with the people <laughs> that you – uh, that you're rubbing elbows with over in the press box for the game. Just say, hey, look, when that guy gets that metal stick in his hand, he is pretty darn good. Let's jump back to last Friday just for a quick moment. Um, man, it's not – I will I will gladly admit. I, in fact, I will happily admit, willingly admit, this is a little bit out of my forte, right? I, I didn't uh, I didn't go to law school. I'm a sports journalist, okay? that's That's where my forte is. But a lot of things are going on right now in this legal battle. The state of Tennessee and the Commonwealth of Virginia against the NCAA. Again, let's go back to last Friday. In the Eastern District Court of Tennessee in Greenville, Tennessee, Judge Clifton L. Corker granted a preliminary injunction against the NCAA. The decision last Friday was the latest development along legal timeline between the Attorney Generals of Tennessee and Virginia and the NCAA. The preliminary injunction suspends the NCAA's ability to enforce its rules regarding name, image, and likeness benefits for the time being. Uh, Here's what uh, Corker had to say in his statement, quote, the NCAA's prohibition uh, likely violates federal antitrust law and harms student-athletes. He also says this, it is this suppression of negotiating leverage and the consequential lack of knowledge that harms student athletes. I think that's certainly a big point that the that the federal judge is sort of sticking to here. And we actually heard Josh Heupel really try to hammer home this point in the lead-in to this decision. Josh Heupel penned a statement to the NCAA back on February 9th, and it was a long letter. It, it, it covered a lot of ground. But to me, after reading it, the one of my biggest takeaways was that Josh Heupel is arguing on behalf of student-athletes' knowledge in this situation. Here's what he had to say in that letter, quote, Because we're unable to help recruits navigate these issues, they don't have the full picture of all the opportunities that are available to them, which can cause them to make poor decisions. Recruits often don't know, like we do, the reputation and trustworthiness of who they're working with. Without that information, they can pick a school that isn't the best fit for them based on false promises of NIL that never come to fruition, end quote. So again, ultimately, the NCAA, uh, their ability to enforce name, image, and likeness benefits and rules uh, when it comes to a player or a prospect going to a school. So being part of that sort of negotiation process, being sort of an enticing factor into a player or a prospect or a transfer player coming to a school, all those for the uh, for the meantime are, uh, they've gone by the wayside. The NCAA does not have the ability to enforce them. This was a landmark, uh, a, a landmark ruling. Things are not over yet. Uh, but then last kind of thing, just real quick as setup information, you know, obviously this is, this is a NIL investigation attorney general. So there's not necessarily a, a direct impact or excuse me, there's not necessarily a direct branch of this investigation going into Tennessee, but as Adam Sparks of the Knoxville News Sentinel has written about uh, throughout this week, and I think he's done a really good job of writing about it. It certainly plays a factor. If the NCAA cannot enforce these rules, obviously it makes the investigation into Tennessee significantly tougher. So that's kind of where we're standing right now. It's been about a week since that decision as we're recording here on the next Thursday, Uh, but certainly big news in the college football world. 
Yeah, it is. And it's kind of leads into, you know, obviously this just applies to Tennessee and Virginia, but now everybody across the country will follow suit. I mean, the NCAA just can't enforce its rules. And kind of at the same time, it's like, you know, just ever, I think everybody was doing what Tennessee was doing. I mean, at least a vast majority of people were, we know already know Florida and Florida state were because they were being investigated too. Um, and, and from some other reporting out there, it sounded like the NCAA was going to send notice of allegations to a bunch of other schools as well. And, um, you know, I think that's maybe the thing that felt the most ridiculous about the whole, like, I understand not wanting NIL and high school recruiting to turn into a bidding war. Like I get that logic of it, but it's just, it just doesn't make sense that you're not going to be able to talk about it because it's such a big factor in these decisions. Um, and because of the rules they had in place, you just had people, it kind of goes back to the old days of, uh, people getting paid under the table. You just had people talking about it in, you know, different ways that weren't above board, and it just made it more difficult. So, uh, certainly, I don't think this was shocking, and it's not the permanent, permanent decision. But it, it would be surprising if it's not in, in the long run. Is you know, we kind of said at the very beginning, we're still waiting for the NCA to win their first lawsuit against anybody in the last <laughs> ten years. I mean, they just have they just have no grounds. I mean, it's they've got in the Supreme Court and Congress. I mean, everybody's just uh rip the NCAA and it just no it doesn't feel like they have any allies on their side yeah and I think from the most to to follow up on what you're saying right there I think from the most macro level possible yeah like it makes sense okay you don't want to necessarily hurt the integrity of the sport with with a bidding war especially when you're dealing with teenagers high school players whatever it is but at the same time a lot of what the NCAA's argument is feels like it's just kind of turning a blind eye to the reality of the situation that all of these programs, these head coaches, these athletic directors, these administrators, they've been dealing with over the last couple of years. And to me, that's one of the big senses that I get from Tennessee's side of thing and saying, you know, hey, look, you can't just come back and say, well, you're certainly not allowed to do that when you don't have a great picture or a great understanding of the whole process that this goes through. I, I think that people within these universities probably do have a little bit of a better understanding right now. And so again, for the NCAA to turn the, turn a blind eye and just say, well, those conversations can't be part of it because that ruins the integrity of the game. It's like, there's no good way to, uh, around that. You know, if anybody is going for a job, right, they want to know what they're going to get paid because they want to know if they're going to make what they're worth. And I think that's fair, especially in the world of NIL. So to me, that's what it's felt like. It's felt like turning a blind eye, not wanting to handle this, not wanting to admit that this is a part of it. But as Tennessee is and Virginia are arguing is, hey, of course, this is part of it. This is a business. This is a free market. People are allowed to be paid for their services and they're allowed to negotiate and figure out what they want to do with that. So you know, to me, that's at least what it's felt like, kind of the turning the blind eye. Yeah, no, I think you guys hit the nail on the head. And uh, yeah, I think what happens with the, this whole thing is kind of what we expected to happen. We knew the NCAA didn't have much power anymore, and it kind of showed. And, you know, I'm not going to say the NCAA is dead, which is, you know, just a fun thing to say that you'll hear a lot of the talking heads say. But, you know, because we're about to have the NCAA basketball tournament, which is still one of the biggest sports events in the in the year, but they don't have the power to enforce their own rules. And uh, I think Friday was kind of the last, like last straw, if you will, lack of a better term, or, or the last proof anybody should need to realize that. No, you're right. And, um, you know, I think the thing with the whole 
the bidding warranting, it's just like there's only so much money to go around. So it's everybody's gonna have to manage the roster, and certainly there's gonna be haves and have nots, but there's always been haves and have nots. I mean, that's just how college football and college sports is. So yeah. um you know, I think the the downside of it, which is maybe, you know, is a messy business. I don't think it's all that much different. And again, it's not like everybody, the big schools are going to be able to pay everybody indefinite amounts. And I would go back to this is what I thought was the ridiculous thing in one of the NCAA statements originally that, you know, they don't just these new things. They're trying to promote competitive balance. Like, what are, what are you talking about? NIL has been great for competitive balance in college football. Like you see. Auburn or not Auburn you see Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State hoarding less than five stars than they did for the last 10 years when it felt like they would all sign six or seven a class now they're getting three or four because they only have so much money to spend and other teams can other schools can allure guys I mean I think we saw a couple years ago Louisville signed like a a five star or two top 30 40 guys you didn't see that before TCU played in a national championship game Washington played in the national championship game these are schools that while they're power five, they've never competed at that high of a level. Um, so it, to me, you've seen all these rule changes. Again, while there still has and has nots, it's, and if anything, it's led to more competitive balance because you will have some people be able to step up and, and get some of the top players. And I think you add that with the transfer portal too. Um, it, it'll kind of allows you to do that a little bit more as well. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a really strong point that you bring up right there. And again, uh, this thing's not over. Uh, it's obviously had a had a a couple of turns so far, and not even turns in a good or a bad way. Just kind of you know, it's just the way the road is going. Um, but there's a lot coming up for Tennessee, and not just the Tennessee football program with spring practice on the way, but also the state of Tennessee and the Commonwealth of Virginia as they continue this uh, this legal battle. Last Friday being a, a big turning point in a. a a big decision-making event in favor of Tennessee and against the NCAA. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how the NCAA continues to respond after this. But, man, we're, we, we still continue to live in an unprecedented time right now uh, with all of this going on and just fascinating to watch it all unfold. Yeah, yeah, no sure. doubt about it. Yeah. All right, gentlemen. Well, I think we've uh, we've hit everything on our docket. We talked about Dalton Connect. I think that was what people probably wanted to hear the most about. Uh, talked about the Tennessee basketball team, what's on the future for them, uh, a couple of baseball nuggets, and then ending with football. Any other kind of final thoughts just from the wider world of Tennessee athletics that, that we might have missed along the way? I can't think of anything. No, I don't think so. Well, I mean, we'll get into – you know, a little bit more spring practice is that's fastly approaching. And, uh, but obviously basketball and to a lesser extent, baseball kind of carry in today right now. What's the, yeah, uh, we, when does spring practice start? What's the date you guys know? I do not know. I know the spring it's, game. I, I want to say it's like uh, end of March. It's typically when it is. I think it's, no, it, I spring think, game uh, is mid April. Spring break is. Yes, and I think spring break for Tennessee is starts with the Kentucky basketball game and runs that week, so like the 11th through the 15th. My guess is that they'll start that next week when they get back. Yeah, I remember being in New York City last year for Tennessee spring practices while that was going on uh, because there were people from other programs who were asking us as the Tennessee people, they were like, wow, you guys have a big crossover season right now. Like, we don't really have that. You know, our people don't really care about spring football practice. And we, we say, 
Uh, our people care a lot about both uh, the NCAA tournament and spring practice. So I do kind of remember that overlapping right then. And, and again, I do think that um, I think it's the 13th. Uh, don't fully quote me on that, but I do think it's kind of right there in that, the teens in April, right. something around then. So uh, right around the corner, just right around the horizon. Uh, in, in case you missed it, by the way, spring pre- spring game will be limited capacity. 20,000 tickets are available for that game. Uh, a lot of construction happening around the stadium right now, but of course there's going to be a lot of Vol Village stuff going on. Hey, you've been around Tennessee Athletics in the last couple of years. You know about the block parties, the Vol Villages, the, the music festivals, stuff like that. Uh, and then actually it's pretty cool that that spring game leads into a Tennessee baseball game at home. I think LSU, maybe, it's an SEC team. It's an SEC matchup that's going to be at 5 o'clock p.m. LSU, okay, on yep. that Saturday. So in case you want to have a big day of Tennessee athletics, uh, head over to campus, try to get one of those 20,000 tickets, uh, and then try to nab yourself a, a ticket to the baseball game as well, or just hang out around campus. But going to be a good time for everybody, uh, but a lot of stuff coming up along the way. Definitely. Yeah, no doubt about it. All righty. Well, let's go ahead and get out of here. That's a good show by us today. Not to pat ourselves on the back or anything, but I think it was. As always, <laughs> if you want to go ahead and follow Ryan Shumpert, you can do that at rshump00. That is S-C-H-U-M-P. If you want to follow Jack Foster, you can do that at Jack Foster Media. He is a great follow on Twitter, especially during the baseball season as well. Both of these guys are. Uh, and then if you want to follow myself, you can do that at Rick underscore Butler. Just R-I-C with no K, like the nature boy. Otherwise, we're going to be rolling out now. Just real quick, let's let's figure out where everybody's going to be this weekend. Ryan, you're heading to Tuscaloosa, covering the basketball game, Tennessee, Alabama, college game day, top 15 tilt, I should say. Uh, going to be a big one over there. Jack is going to be locking things down with Tennessee baseball right here in, in Knoxville. Is that correct? Absolutely, for sure. All okay, and then me – um, I'm, I'm, I'm out of the picture a little bit this week. And I'm going to be honest, I'm going to Houston for a wedding. I not necessarily one that I want to be missing games for It's It's one of those, uh, but I will be in Houston for March, weddings. March wedding. I'm getting booed by my, by my, by my coworkers March over wedding. here. The boo birds are coming out. What, what is going on? This is March, Rick. This is March. You're going we to sleep. Houston. We wedding. sleep in April, but people still get married in, in March. I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so, we sleep in June. We sleep in okay, June. Okay, I guess that's it. We sleep in or June. Or maybe so, July. <laughs> yeah, I don't right, know. Right. At least some yeah, sleep before no, August. Sleep in June. I, I need sleep July. before August. So that's, that's what I'm banking on. But anyways, the RTI guys will be at everything this weekend, and then we'll come back for another podcast next week. Let me go ahead and stop rambling and get us out of here. Thank you so much for listening to the RTI Press Pass podcast. As always, go ahead and check out RockyTopInsider.com each and every day. Go ahead and check out at RockyTopInsider on all social media accounts. And otherwise, we will see you back for the next one. Be good out there. Have a good one. This has been the Rocky Top Insider Press Pass podcast with Ryan Shumpert, Jack Foster, and Rick Butler.